Our passion didn't start with a mouth. It started with people, with the well-being of the profession. And if you're like me, maybe a little bit of your nerdiness in all things tech too. We all want to love what we do, but the truth is burnout, people problems, and glass ceilings can keep us from doing what we set out to do. So let's get back to the heart of connection. Welcome to the Dental Handoff. This show is about passing you the knowledge, the habits, the systems, and the strategies to lead your teams, lean on your tech, and listen to your gut while you take care of people and truly the overall health of our communities. Let's stop using the wrong end of the toothbrush, y'all. My name is Dr. Kelly Tanner. Oh, and uniquely, I'm a dental hygienist too. You can consider me a guru in the dental and leadership industry. With over three decades of experience, my goal is to take you to the next level by empowering growth, perspective, and confidence. By identifying the gaps, recognizing the plaque, and extracting the truth with the other experts in the field. I'll share their stories, empower you to own yours, and elevate your passion in the process. So have a seat in the chair, put on your bib, and let's get to work. Hello to all my listeners. Welcome to the Dental Handoff. I am Dr. Kelly Tanner, your hostess, and today I have Dr. Tom Orant on with us, who I just recently met, and Dr. Tom is going to talk a lot about we were pre-talking about some of the mistakes that dentists make, continue to make, that we all make, and how we all learn from them. Dr. Orrent, thank you so much for being on today. Kelly, thanks for the invite. And just to be clear, I'm going to talk about my mistakes, but yeah, other dentists have made them too. <laughs> we, we make them every day, don't we? Sure. So Dr. Tom, I always like to ask our guests, why dentistry? Why dentistry for you? What made you choose it or what made it choose you? good question. Um, I'm going to start before I answer that question with when did I make the decision? Because I, I always find that one fascinating as well. I find both of those interesting. Um, I made my decision in ninth grade. So way, 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 way back. Um, the reason dentistry was I always liked doing things in the healthcare industry. Um, as I got a little bit older, high school, certainly college and so forth, um, I used to work on ambulances, ski patrol, a lot of stuff with health. Uh, but I also did a lot of um, fine art, fine metals, jewelry, silver, gold, and so forth. So between healthcare and loving to work with you know, intricate details with my hands, dentistry was perfect. And um, I met a guy in ninth grade, 10th grade, those couple of years uh, in high school. Uh, he was in a, in a program where they would just come into the high school and talk to people about different professions. He was, he was a dentist and he would talk to us once a month at night and I was sold. So that's how I got in. And what interested you the most about that? What, like, what jumped out at you to say, that's it for me? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you ask a lot of good questions. So why, <laughs> why? It, um, first of all, I can't believe that I can remember this guy's name because at this point, he's, he would probably be 120 if he were still alive. But um, his name was Dr. Jerry Udler. And every, everything that he showed us and everything that he told, told us was just fascinating. I mean, he would show us different things that they did. Um, Again, it, it's a, it's where um, it's where art meets science. People talk about this a lot. A lot. Um, one of my passions uh, in 1990, I was accredited by the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, and I served as an examiner for the ACD for six years. Mm. And so, one of my passions was aesthetic, appearance-related dentistry. Um, took a lot of courses from Bill Strop, all of his over-the-shoulder. 
Um, and so I did a lot of bonded porcelain reconstruction, did a lot of anterior smile design. Um, but then I got interested uh, a little bit later um, in Pete Dawson and his work. And so I went through the entire Dawson continuum for several years, all the didactic, all the over the shoulder. And um, Pete took me aside one day and he said, he said, Tom, you're an interesting mix. I said, why is that? I'll never forget this. He said, you're the first person I've ever met from the AACD, the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, who after the teeth meet, that they care what happens then. So he was basically saying that at AACD, we were all about just the smile and how it looks, but nothing about occlusion or function. Um, so anyway, he and I had a, built a good relationship from that point on. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's the art and it's the science. Mm -hmm. So you saw that from an early age, from from like career day or is that, I think that's what it used to be called when yeah. I was in middle school, high school career day, where the folks would come in and talk about the different professions and it jumped out at you that that could be something that you would be good at. Yeah, it, it totally did. Um, and, and, and as we, as we um, get into our discussion today, unfortunately, a lot of what I saw in dentistry, a lot of dentists today think is impossible to do. And that is to offer and gain high acceptance of the very best possible care to help the patients achieve optimal health and give them complete and lifetime dentistry. And that was Pete's mission. Um, and I asked Pete to write the forward to one of my books and he wrote me a handwritten response and his handwritten response said, I've been asked this question a lot to write forwards for people's books and I don't write forwards to people's books. <laughs> And then he, in the next, I'm thinking, okay, so he's not going to do it. And then in the next sentence, he says, but I'm going to make an exception. And, and I'm, he says, I've actually written the forward to your book, and it's at the center being typed up now. This is a handwritten note from Pete. I still have it on my wall. He said, um, the reason I'm making an exception is because I think you'll be a good missionary to carry on my torch of, of helping dentists understand the need for complete dentistry. And so before we started recording today, you and I talked about the 800-pound gorilla in the room of so many dentists, I would say, I don't know, 90, 95% of dentists in the U.S., the 800-pound gorilla is PPOs. So why do we choose to get into a PPO? Because they promise us we're going to get more patients. So you... And by the way, the most common thing I hear is, well, I just put... I added one or two PPOs because I figured I'd just boost my... I had some open time. So I'd fill those open chairs a little bit with the PPO insurance, and that way I could kind of fill the open time and be more productive. And to me, PPO is nothing more than a malignant cancer, because when you bring one in and you bring two in, you bring three in. And now today, many of, many of our coaching members tell us that they are, just from their statistics, from their data, on the low end, they're writing off 25% of everything they produce. That's the low end. I mean, if, if you're a dentist who's doing, you know, a million dollars or $2 million, whatever that is, and you're writing off 18% total, then that's actually considered good today, which is terrible, but it's considered good. Most of them are writing off 25 to 30%, some a little bit more than that. Then you got pockets in California, Texas, parts of the, the mid-Atlantic, where they're writing off close to 50%. And I've run into a few doctors, a few of our members who they're they're over fifty percent. I mean, why why do it at that point? So, mm -hmm. um, and and it's not just the money. Then if you look at the care that is being rendered when the dentist feels crazy amount of pressure from basically the stress of trying to 
if you've got a $1.2 million practice and you're, you're writing off 35, 40% of that, you're giving away $400,000 or more in dentistry. And one of the hidden costs, and, and nobody talks about this, let's say, oh yeah, I, I write off 400,000 a year. And by the way, if you had said this in a conversation 20 years ago, they'd say, nobody's doing that. Well, a lot of people are doing three, 400,000 a year. That's just pretty typical. So let's say I'm Dr. Smith. And I know that I know my data, I know my math, I'm writing off 400,000 a year. That's my loss to PPOs. It's not, it's not. That's only where it begins. First of all, there's another financial cost. And the other financial cost is to give away $400,000 worth of free dentistry costs you between 12 and 15% variable expenses, lab and supply. So let's say your supply cost and your lab cost, the lab is the bigger one, but let's say combined your variable expenses are 15%. Then that 400,000, for which you couldn't collect a penny, cost you $60,000 in hard costs out the door to produce the dentistry. So it's not 400, it's 460. So let's get away from money for a second. Let's look at what it's doing to the patient relationship. It has literally driven a wedge between many of the dentists and the patients. And so, I mean, one of the unspoken truths is that there's a lot of dentistry that's not being offered, a lot of best best recommendations aren't being offered because the dentists know that they can't collect on it. They, they, they can't do it profitably. Um, I once heard a dentist say that he would rather, and I forget what the specific treatment was, uh, whatever it was, maybe it was an amalgam or a partial, whatever it was, he said, he, he would never actually say this, but what he said he would say to the patient would be, um, so Mrs. Jones, you need X, Y, and Z. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this. And instead of, here's, here's here, you know, go to the front desk and set this up. He said he was going to hand him a check for $200. And the check was to go to another dentist and get it done because he'd, he'd, he'd make out better if he just wrote $200 and lost just $200 as opposed to actually doing that service for them. Um, he never actually did that, but I just thought that that was pretty cute. Yeah. And then also does the, the money that you're talking about that the doctor has lost from a hard cost standpoint, does that also include the, the investment in the team's time as well? Or is okay, that so that doesn't, that doesn't even include good 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 point. So I was talking about variable expenses. Now you've got a fixed cost. You've got a fixed cost of probably one more team member. In in any in any dental office, the amount of time that's spent on insurance baloney, where they put you on hold for thirty minutes and then they hang up. Um, one of our PPO experts gave me some stats recently. I think it was only thirty five percent of denials and downgrades are challenged. And so they just do this automatically. They, they, they will downgrade and deny. This just part of the algorithm. They'll downgrade. It's not even, you say, oh, I can't believe a clerk, uh, a clerk who has no idea about insurance was able to tell me I can't do this. It wasn't a clerk. That didn't even get to the clerk level. That was just an algorithm. That was just a computer who told you you can't do that or you can't collect on that. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, your, your point is well taken about the costs. Then there's all the confusion. So for example, one of the best things that the legislature, legislators in um, uh, 42 or 43 of our states did was to fight for us and say, if you're in a PPO and they don't cover something, it's called the Non-Covered Services Act in a lot of states. So let's say it's a, oh, I don't know, let, let's say it's a partial or it's whatever it is, an implant. So we don't cover the... Uh, the placement of an implant, the surgery. Okay, so if you don't cover it, you can't tell me what to charge. Well, they were, initially PPOs were telling them what to charge. They said, 
even if we don't cover it, even if it's a non-covered service and, and the patient pays out of pocket completely, we're going to tell you what fee you can charge the patient. All right. So the legislators went to bat. I think it's either 42 or 43 states now um, that, that, that have that act. Um, and if, if you don't know, by the way, if you're a dentist and you're listening to this and you don't know, you need to just, you, you can go to the ADA site and just put in uh, non-covered services act as my state have it. Um, or you can contact me and get to the link, but I think it's on the ADA site. Anyway, so you talk about confusion and, and waste of staff time and liability from a fraud standpoint, because if you just because you didn't know the law doesn't mean you're not committing fraud. Uh, I know a dentist in New York who um, committed a lot of insurance fraud and um, uh, they took his license and then he decided to practice without a license. And when he practiced without a license, they put him in prison for three years, not not like, you know, for six months. He was away for three years. Anyway, that's a different story. So I was starting to get into the confusion and, and you don't want to get into a liability situation. One of the biggest confusions is, okay, so let's say I'm in Massachusetts and I believe Massachusetts has an Uncovered Services Act. That that means that I can charge my full fee even uh, for non, uh, so for non-covered service, I can charge my full fee. Well, that's true 50% of the time. The other 50% of the time, it's illegal. And it's not a state issue, it's a federal issue. Why did that happen? Because roughly 50% of insurance, the, the bigger corporations, the big US corporations, the multinational corporations, a lot of the bigger corporations, even though it says, you know, Aetna or MetLife, you know, some, it says the name of some PPO company, the only thing that that PPO company is doing for that big corporation is just the paperwork, figuring out the claims and that kind of thing. It's a pass-through, but they are the corporations are self-funding. So it's not the insurance companies that are funding it. If the insurance companies fund it, you know, the, the claim, they pay for the claim, then it has to do with state law. And if you're, you have a non-covered services act, then you're good. You can charge your full fee. But if it is a, um, I forget what they call it, but it's basically a, um, if it's under federal law because the insurance company is only a pass-through and they're just they're the administrator, then the Non-Covered Services Act has no teeth, pardon the pun, and for you to charge full fee, which a lot of dentists do because they didn't know, uh, is insurance fraud. And unfortunately, it's at the federal level, so it's even worse. Um, I'm kind of digressing. What, I, what I'd rather, if you don't mind, what I'd rather talk about is... Um, how do you fix all this? I mean, what are some of the mistakes I made and how do you fix all this? Well, can I, if I could back up to like one thing that you started with that I thought was pretty profound, it was like in your opening statement that you said, what prevents dentists from offering the most comprehensive treatment plan for their patients, for life, for a lifelong relationship with them, for lifelong dentistry that then goes on to, you know, health forever. Sure. So what do you think in your mind Okay. prevents that or well, what things? Because I talked a lot about insurance, I'm going to leave insurance out. Um, but but I, I will just say that insurance, because of the wedge that it drives, because of all the misunderstandings that patients have that they think everything should be covered because I have insurance, um, that's a pretty big issue. But let's set that aside. Let's just put it put that aside and just talk about why do the vast majority of dentists not do comprehensive care for their patients or even offer it? Um, I think a really good example of this would be, um, and I won't use his last name, but um, one of my dear members who's been with me for about 12 years in our coaching program, his name is George. And George is in his early 70s, still loves dentistry. 
He's got FAGD, he's got MAGD, he's highly skilled at comprehensive reconstructive dentistry. Um, when I met him, he said, I am so frustrated. He said, I'm just not doing it. He says, I offer one or two tooth dentistry because that's what insurance covers. And so one of the big, um, another one is, is perception of patient financing. So we'll get into that in a second. But one of the big stumbling blocks for a lot of dentists and dental team members is they just don't know how to present it in such a manner that the patient will accept it. And so because of that, they end up the differential that they go down to the, the common denominator, the lowest common denominator is what my insurance covers. So um, George, and I'm just going to double check. I apologize. I, my screen blacked out for a second there. Um, so George said to me, he was just so frustrated. He said, I have all the skills to do this. He said, but I'm just not doing it. Um, fast forward a little bit. One of the biggest mistakes that I made along the way, um, after I went through all of Bill Strap's courses and many other courses and the ACD accreditation and then through the Dawson continuum and, okay, I'm ready to do all this comprehensive dentistry. And I started doing, um, and, and I love Pete. I absolutely loved him. But I learned so much from him clinically, but when it came to the management side, which was once I got out of his uh, couple year continuum, I did a 90 minute new patient exam, every, every adult. And that included, you know, of course, the FMX and, and things like that and perioprobing and the, the normal stuff that we would do for every patient. But it also included taking models, upper and lower study models, and included taking three Delar bites. We took three because we were mounting them in centric and we used an AccuCheck, a CentraCheck to find out were our Delar bites accurate. Uh, I did a, um, a TMJ um, ultrasound for every new patient the entire screening system for, for TMJ and occlusal problems. So I did everything he told us to do to the letter. And then we had them come back with a spouse or a partner in order to present everything. And um, after about I don't know, a year and a half of doing that, in my Framingham, I had two offices. In my Framingham office, my office manager, Isabel, sweetheart that she was, she came up to me and she had a big legal notepad. So she hands me this notepad. She says, Dr. Ron, I want you to look at this. I said, what is it? So it was three or four pages of all these names, first name, last name, just scrawled hundreds and all these names. I said, she said, do you recognize those people? I said, I, I have no idea who, I don't know anybody on that list. Who, who are these people? She said, this is my point. So I guess, but what are you talking about? She said, those are all of the new patients who you presented comprehensive care on in the last year and a half, two years who have never returned. Mm. Now I've had this conversation with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dentists over the last 23 years of coaching. And I will tell you, I get heads nodding and I'm sure that there are heads nodding who are listening to the podcast right now or the YouTube or whatever. And they're saying, yeah, that happened to me too. I would go through, and it could have been Kois, it could have been Spear, it could have been uh, LVI, it could have been um, you know Panky, and it could have been Dawson. It doesn't matter what continuum it was, but you go through the continuums, you learn how to do amazing clinical dentistry. But when you take the practice management advice, which is do this, you know, 90-minute comprehensive evaluation and tell them everything they need. Now, if a patient comes into you, and by the way, don't let me forget about the financial aspect, because this was the I don't know how to present it aspect, but there's also the patient can't afford it aspect. That's a different story. We should talk about that too. But Mrs. Jones is in your chair. And you look in her mouth and you see periodontal disease, you see six millimeter pockets, you see a lot of bleeding. 
Um, you see some collapsing of the bite. You see some exostosis on the maxillary ridge where she's been grinding. You see several fractured um, old restorations, which are fracturing because of the probably because of the occlusion. Uh, you see 30-year-old amalgams with um, wide open margins and, and leaking in there. And basically, at first glance, I mean, without even photos, x-rays, or much else, just some perioprobing and a look with your um, loops. At first glance, Mrs. Jones probably needs somewhere between twenty dollars and $40,000, and I'm being kind, but maybe thirty dollars to $40,000 worth of treatment in order to get her into the type of shape that you were describing before, which is now you're in health and you can maintain stable health from a perianal standpoint, from a bone standpoint, osseous, from a, an occlusal standpoint. Long term, this is going to be a happy, healthy patient if you could do that work. So why would you not recommend that? Well, I did recommend that. I did exactly what I just described for a couple of years until Isabel came to me. She said, just, you, she said, yeah, you do a case every few weeks, but most of them are running it right out into the front door, out the back door. So why are they leaving? Well, they're leaving because they moved from Oshkosh to Boston and they had seen their dentist every six months and the dentist told them everything was just fine, except they needed one crown or one filling, you know, they needed one thing. Get that done when you move to Boston. That one thing can wait till you get to Boston. So they got to Boston, they said, I just need this one thing, otherwise everything is fine. This is the asymptomatic patient. Now, for patients with symptoms, it's a totally different story. If you have somebody who walks into you and says, a true story, a guy named Jim walked into my practice, and he said to me, I'm from Chicago, my brother and I both had terrible teeth when we were kids. He just had his entire mouth rebuilt. In Chicago, mm -hmm. I'm not going back to Chicago to see his dentist. I, I'm, I've been living out here for a while. And um, you did a beautiful veneer case on Amy. She works for me. And um, Amy said, go see Tom. And so here he is sitting in my chair. And he's the owner of the corporation that Amy's working for. He knows, I'm sure he, I'm sure he asked Amy how much I charged for the, her case. And so for me not to tell him everything I see that I need right on that first day would be kind of silly. So I did a comprehensive evaluation, did everything the way that we're supposed to do it and presented everything, um, and I, it was a $50,000 case, and I prepped that case at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time, September 11, 2001. Mm. And we had TVs in our ceilings. And I had barely started the case. I mean, I got them numb, barely started, and we're looking up, and the first tower was hit. So that's a different story, but... Um, but, but again, if you've got a patient in your chair who says, I know I need a lot of work, I know it's going to be very costly, I know insurance is going to cover that, then you do do the comprehensive right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. So even though Isabel and I didn't know how to fix that at that time, we knew that we had a problem we needed to fix because otherwise we're chasing everybody out the back door. And that's why George, with all of his skills, that my, my coach member, George, that's why he wasn't presenting because he knew that if he just told people they needed all this work, all right. so. I developed something called the 2020 new patient exam. The 2020 new patient exam goes by the medical model. The medical model is, let's say you need a wellness checkup. I had a wellness checkup with my physician a few months back. I went in, um, there was a very nice uh, medical assistant. She did uh, pulse oximetry, she did blood pressure, uh, looked in my throat, looked in my ears, asked me if I had any new th stuff happening. Do I have any complaints, any changes in medications? Do I need prescription? She was in with me for about 20, 25 minutes before the doctor came in the room. Mm -hmm. Doctor came in the room. He was in for five. Everything was good. Everything looked good. Any questions, complaints, anything else? How's your family? Great. See ya. She, he left. 
And then she came back in and said, okay, he wants you to do blood work, this, this, this. And then I saw either phlebot, whatever. So the point is in the medical model, in that initial exam, unless there's something crazy, you know, emergency wrong, you're, you're so that what's the 2020 20? Well, the 2020 20 became 20 with my assistant to do x rays and maybe bring in a hygienist if there was one free to do the probing and so forth. So do all the stuff pre, pre me. Then I go in for maybe 10, 15 minutes, 20 at the most. And then whatever I suggest, still, I want models, I want this, I want a couple of photos, whatever. They get another 20 minutes. Patient's still there for an hour. But instead mm -hmm. of me spending 90, now I'm spending 20. Mm -hmm. Now, you could say to yourself, usually it was 15. You could say to yourself, and the dentists are probably thinking, Tom, there's no way you can do a good comprehensive evaluation and treatment plan and anything like that in 15 or 20 minutes. And the answer is you're correct. I no longer had any intention of trying to figure out for an asymptomatic patient who comes in thinking everything is just fine. Again, this is a specific type of patient, but a lot of our patients in general dentistry are just like that. They're just asymptomatic and think everything is just fine. You look in their mouth and you realize, holy tamole, everything is not just fine. But right. All right. So how can you ethically and credibly not tell them that there's all this other stuff that you see right. and write some little phase one plan, which is some simple stuff? Right. Okay, you can, and I'm going to tell you how to do that in just a second. Okay. Stay tuned. All right, so let me go backwards a little bit. Um, one of the things I don't want to do is tell them that I'm writing a phase one plan yet. I will let them know before they walk out that this was phase one. But I don't want to say in the beginning, okay, so we're going to just do a phase one plan for you first to start off with. Why would I not want to do that? Because I'm going to put it in their head that there must be something other terrible coming. So... I just talk about what, what I see that they need and what, what do they want? Do they have any problems and all that stuff? All right. So in the, in the 2020 new patient exam, I have three rules. And again, this is an asymptomatic patient who thinks everything is just peachy. And you look in and there's no emergency. It's not like an abscess or something you got to treat right now. So I have three rules for the new patient. And if you're writing anything down, write these three things down. Rule number one, you cannot hurt them. So Tom, why would I want to hurt any patient? Well, you don't want to hurt any patient, but let's say Mrs. Jones has been coming to you for 15 years. She's a sweetheart. She loves you to death. She loves your team. You got a great relationship. She's been referring you patients. She brings you a pie, even though it's not even Thanksgiving. She brings a pie in, makes it for the team. If you are doing an injection on Mrs. Jones, who I just described, or Mrs. Smith, and you kind of hit the nerve instead of being near it, and she jumps for a second, She's not going to leave your practice from one, you know, slightly painful injection. Do it a few times and she might, but, you know, do it once and not, not an issue. Um, the brand new patient who you've never seen before on your first injection, you hit the nerve, they're not coming back. So rule number one is you, you cannot hurt a new patient. Rule number two is you can't take much of their money. Well, what would I use for a number on that? Um, I used something under a thousand. The exact number doesn't matter, but but I don't want it to have too many zeros. I want it to be under a thousand. So if, if after insurance, if they have to pay 200, 400, 500, 800, whatever, that's all fine. But I don't want them paying two, three, four thousand dollars after insurance when they just met me and they thought everything was just fine. Again, I'm being really specific. This is the asymptomatic patient who walked in saying, oh, I think everything's fine. I just need a cleaning and a checkup. Even though we look in and say, holy tamale. All right, rule number three, you can't take much of their time. How much is much of their time? Well, a six or eight or 10 visit treatment plan for somebody who thought everything was just fine ain't going to fly. It's just not. That's why they're running out of the back doors of so many of our practices after we go to these continuum. So 
let's say they needed perio phase one, deep scaling. Okay, that's fine. Um, let's say they needed, um, <clears throat> let's say they had some pit and fissure and groove carries that you found with your SOPR, your canary, your diagnodent, your carry view, whatever you're using. Okay, that's fine. A couple of those. Um, they're going to be quick. They're going to be easy. Hopefully, they'll be done without anesthetic. Don't even have to inject them. Um, they're not going to cost much out of pocket. All, that, all that's fine. Maybe they asked you, could I do whitening? Sure, you can do whitening. We can do that. It's a short, quick, easy treatment plan. That's my phase one plan, right? Now that we have the phase one plan agreed upon, and by the way, she's thinking, I like this dentist. He's not telling me like 60 minutes where I have to rebuild my whole mouth and supposedly 60 minutes that, oh, that guy didn't need anything. That was a hack job on the dental profession many years ago. Readers Digest did the same thing and others online have been doing it since. Dentist, you know, okay. So she's thinking this is really good, but it wouldn't be ethical for me not to, it wouldn't be ethical for me to not let her know that this isn't everything. Right. <clears throat> All right. Um, so once I once we've completed this, we've built some rapport. I've been in there maybe 20 minutes. She's told me everything feels fine. And I've told her she needs these few little things. She says, okay, I'll do those few little things. Then I say to her, Mrs. Jones, uh, I made a note in your record. Um, first, let me ask you this. It looks like you have uh, quite a few of those old mercury silver fillings. Looks like they were done a long time ago. Um, those don't bother you, do they? Now, remember, this is an asymptomatic patient. So this is, I already, it's a rhetorical question. I already know the answer to the question. Right. Those don't bother you, do they? She's already told me that and nothing bothers me. All right. So it looks like you have a lot of those old mercury silver fillings that were done quite quite a number of years back. Uh, they don't bother you, do they? Oh, no, no, those were done quite, you know, when I was a kid, but they're fine. They don't, they don't bother me. I said, okay. So I made a note in your record. And by the way, I did make an extensive note. I made a note in your record um, that... I'd like to have you back at some time in the not too distant future. Once we finish this first phase of the, the things we just discussed today. So that's the first time I said this was the first phase. Once we finish this first phase, getting your gum infection taken care of, getting those couple of things that you asked for, if you wanted something done in the front where there was a stain on a filling, whatever. So once we've taken care of that first phase, I'd like to have you back at some point in the not too distant future for a more comprehensive and thorough evaluation so that we don't miss anything important. Would that be okay? 99.9% .9 of the time, they said yes. There was a rare exception, which I won't even get into. It has to do with the cafeteria plan where they wanted to figure out for the next year what they're going to pay through and through their employer. But the point is, 99% of them were, yeah, that's fine. They don't want to hear about they need $20,000, $30,000 beyond insurance, and they need to come in 10 times and be out of work. They want to hear that this is okay. Now, what I didn't tell them is that everything is okay. I simply said, we have not taken those teeth into consideration at all. Um, I don't want to miss anything important. Let's finish this first phase, get these things taken care of, and then we'll do a more thorough evaluation. It worked really well. Um, what happened was relationship had built up, been built up now with my team. Relationship had been built with me, the hygienist, everybody. And so when they came back for those things, that was more relationship. They came back then on six-month or three-month recall, more relationship. And then during one of the recall exams, we made a decision, do we want to do quadrant dentistry, maybe evaluate a quadrant at a time, what's best for this patient long-term for comprehensive care? <clears throat> um, I'll also tell you, having nothing to do with the 2020 and don't let me forget to talk about the, the patients who can't afford the dentistry, because that's another thing. And it's a false belief on our part. Um, I agree. But with your background as a PhD and a hygienist, which is a really cool background, by the way, um, I'm preaching to the choir when I say, if we don't take care of their periodontal health first, not only is it malpractice, I mean, that's, you can call it malpractice, it is malpractice. Um, not only is it malpractice, but it could kill them. 
Now, I'm not exaggerating. I wrote a report called 30 Classifications of Patients Whose Lives May Depend on Their Periodontal Health. And the 30 Classifications report went into detail on 30 different types of patients who needed more extensive, maybe it's phase one period, maybe it's phase two period, it's certainly three month, three call, it's better home care, it's everything to make sure that their gums were pristine. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, there's 30 different categories and I'm not gonna get into that today, but <clears throat> I will tell you that um, uh, when I first wrote that report, I called it 27 classifications of patients whose lives may depend on periodontal health. Number 28 and 29, I had to rewrite the report. This was a few years back, maybe four or five years ago. The research that came out on Alzheimer's and dementia was amazing. Yeah. Basically, it said, the, the, the abstract of it says, if you are predisposed because of your DNA and your family history to get Alzheimer's or dementia, and if we can keep your gums in good shape, we can delay the onset and we can reduce the severity. It's like, okay, those are two amazing, I'm getting goosebumps because those are two life-changing change, life changing things, life-extending, yes. life-improving. All right, so that was 28 and 29. So I had this report, which was now called 29 Classifications, yada, yada, yada. I had to write it again, rewrite it. I had to edit it again. And now it's called 30 Classifications of Your Patients who, uh, Whose Lives May Depend on Their Periodontal Health. Number 30, I rewrote it about a year ago. Number 30 was COVID. The study came out in J. Perio, peer-reviewed study. It wasn't a study of 10 patients. It was 536 patients. <clears throat> and I'm sure you know the results of the study. The results of the study was were that if you get COVID, and as you know, there's a gazillion breakthrough infections. If you get COVID and you have periodontitis, you don't have a 10% increased risk of fatality. You don't have a 30% risk of fatality. You have a 300% increased risk of fatality. The likelihood of you dying from COVID is three times higher hmm. if you have periodontitis when you... And now, I got two breakthrough infections. I had five injections. I had the two initial Moderna and then I had three of the boosters. I still got COVID twice. It was like a runny yeah. nose. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Because everything else in my system is in good shape and my gums are pristine. They just right. are. I mean, they, they just are. So um, I, I want to touch on the financial aspect because I, I don't want to throw that out like a teaser and then not hit on this because this is huge. This is another reason that we don't offer best care. And then, two, and then too, Dr. Tom, we can bring you back on a different episodes where you can elaborate as much as you want as well, if you want to give us a teaser now. It's up it'll, to you. It'll, it'll only, it'll only, I'd be happy to come back because um, there's 999 other gems we can talk about. I have a thousand gems, but so I'd be happy to come back, but I can do this one in two minutes. Okay. Okay. I've asked somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 dentists and dental professionals, all team members of every, every rank and file. Do you believe that in your practice, you know, maybe, maybe they're in the Bayou of Louisiana, maybe they're in the mountains of Socorro, New Mexico, you know, who knows where they are. Do you believe that in your practice, you have a significant percentage of your patients who cannot afford best option dentistry, even if it's just a quadrant at a time? Let's say that quadrant costs $4,000. And let's say, I'm going to even say, let's say Care Credit or any of those companies might say they, they say they could finance it for 60 months. Do you still believe that even finance, even doing a quadrant at a time, comprehensive dentistry, quadrant at a time, finance for 60 months and the financing would go through, do you believe that there's a significant percentage of your patients who simply can't afford to be, be putting that kind of money into their teeth? And what I get is about a 50-50 split. 
it's not skewed one way or the other. It's about half of our profession. Now, what's interesting, there are many of our, our member offices where I'll do this, this little poll, and it's split in that office. It's not like each office has its own philosophy, even amongst folks in one office. All right, so the answer, and I'm sure you already know the answer. The answer is, <clears throat> it's not true. It ain't true. Um, I think it's five words. It's not about the money. It is five words. It's not about the money. So if you're writing anything down, write down it's not about the money. Now they'll tell you it's the money. It's never oh, about you know, the money. It's What's never that? about the money. It's not the money. It's not about the money. So how can I prove that? All right, here's how I can prove this. The average American family has three cell phones and they have cable or satellite TV. If you add up what they're paying on the cell phones and you add up what they're paying for the cable or satellite TV, and I'm not talking about the base service, I'm also talking about Hulu, Netflix, ESPN+, Amazon Prime. They've got pay-per-view on demand, and I'm sure I just missed 10 of the streaming services. But And there's a lot of families, get this, mine was one of them, a lot of families who don't even remember which streaming services they have, who was watching which shows, and if they're even watching those shows anymore. They're just paying every month. All right, the average American family spends between $450 and $500 per month just on their cell phones and their TV service, just on those two things. All right, so I'm having a, um, the Freedom Summit Coaching is a coach I was talking about. So I'm having a discussion with one of my Freedom Summit Coaching new member offices. It's a welcome and intro call. <clears throat> and I was, I was giving the, what, what I call my proof that your patients can afford that kind of care. Uh, and, and by the way, to finance in care credit, $4,000 for 60 months, depends on the interest rate, but you're looking at about 85 to 95 bucks a month. So they're saying no to 85 or 95 for quality, comprehensive, long-term, lifetime care and lifetime health. And they're saying yes, they're turning down 85 or 95 and they're saying yes to 450 to 500. So I'm in the middle of one of these discussions with one of our member offices and a dental assistant starts yelling and she's jumping up and down. She says, Tom, you missed two things. She says, wait, wait. I said, wait, what? She says, you missed two things. I said, okay, enlighten me. What did I miss? She says, first of all, their hair. So I said, I don't know anything about hair. Tell me. <laughs> That's what I said. So she says, women, women can spend $150, $200, $250. I was like, seriously? I never asked Elizabeth what she's, I never asked Elizabeth what she spends. She says, yeah, it could be $200 or more, $250 or more. I said, how often are they doing this? She said, every month. Yep. Okay. I said, all right. I didn't know that, but I stand corrected. I said, but you said I missed two things. I said, that was only one. She says, this. And she does this. I said, five? She said, no, this is five. She said, this is their nails. I said, oh. I said, I've never had my nails done. I just clip them. It's free. How much do they spend on that? So she says, could be 50, 60, $80 just to have their nails done. I said, every month she started laughing. She says, you're like clueless. She says, if you're getting your nails done, you don't get them done once a month. She said, anybody who's getting them done is getting them done you know, two, two and a half weeks, way more often than one. Okay. Yes. So to her point, my five, 450 to 500 was low. It's probably closer to 700. And that doesn't include restaurant meals. It doesn't include all the little things people buy for themselves. It doesn't include vacations or all the other stuff. Right. When patients tell you they can't afford it, 5% of them are living hand to mouth. They don't have cell phones. They don't have TV at the house and they can't afford it. But those patients are not coming into our practices on any, any regular basis. So the patients in your chair can't afford the dentistry. Then why are they telling you it's the money and saying no to the treatment? The reason for that is, and this is probably the biggest writer downer of the day. 
the reason that they say no to your care is either they don't believe that they need that care, that they don't believe that they have the problem. That's not usually the case because we have so much technology and ways to show people the problems. Usually you can get beyond that first bar, which is, do I even have that problem? Usually you can get beyond that first bar. Mm -hmm. The second bar is the much, much, much harder bar to do. And this is what we cover in our coaching program. It's a lack of any feeling that there's an immediate or urgent need to do anything about it. So when you present your care and you don't give the patient the feeling, if they don't adopt that feeling that there's an immediate and urgent reason that I need to schedule this right now, they will not schedule. They just won't. Lack of urgency. The lack of urgency is the biggie. And how do you create that? It's by walking them through the potential consequences of not taking action now. And it's different for every, that's why I have that 30 classification document just for perio. That's why we have something like that just for quadrant dentistry. We have something like, we, we have that, this is, anyway, that's part and, part and parcel, but the point is create that sense of urgency and they will schedule. Yes, we can't make those bias judgments for them. Uh, we have to get out of our own money mindset because I think a lot of us carry the, that with us mm-hmm. from our own past beliefs about what is important. And we project that onto our patients, but you're exactly, I talk about that all the time. It's about establishing the urgency and what are you doing? What's the practice doing to harness on that urgency? Do you have availability for same day care if they want to get started that day? Mm-hmm. So that's, you're right. That's a whole other 999 conversation. One of those, maybe we'll have you back on to talk about if, if it's something that you're willing to share another one of your gems about, about that'd that. be fun. Dr. Tom, that's it's brilliant. And I hope you guys are taking notes. And if you're in the car, please don't take notes, but go back to the episode and listen, Dr. Tom, it has been, um, an amazing, um, just amazing having you on today and just listening to you and your philosophies and what you know about PPOs, your wealth of information in the show notes, you guys, you guys can figure out how to there. You have multiple channels to be reached on, right? You have Facebook, you have, you have Instagram, you have website, you have some um, programming coming up. You can reach them on ppoexit.com if you're looking. And there's another website too, that'll be popping up here. Let me jump in if I could. So yeah, the 800 pound gorilla is the PPOs. And if you want to learn, if the listeners would like to learn how to safely reduce their dependence, I went 100% fee for service in my Framingham office and 90% fee for service in my Worcester office. So we were pretty much insurance free uh, and it worked out really well. And everyone around us took it. So it's not like we were in a pocket where there was no, everybody was taking PPOs. So if you'd like to learn how to safely and carefully reduce dependence on PPOs, you can download my free special report. The re- report is called a four-step system that dentists use to safely and predictably withdraw from PPOs and increase net profit. Uh, that's PPOFO, P-P-O-F-O-E, PPOFO.com. Now, <clears throat> if they would like our help in mapping out a step-by-step plan specific to their practice, so they want to say, okay, what would you do if you had my situ- practice situation? How would you get out? Um, we do that what's called a, a, through a breakthrough call. The breakthrough call is free. That's ppoexit.com. So if you go to ppoexit.com, um, my team has set aside time to speak with, with your doctors uh, about how to get out of PPOs. 
Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for what you're doing every day for your patients, for your community. And you know what I always ask, do me a favor and go on to Apple Podcasts. Give me a five-star rating, please, because you love us. And also go on over to YouTube, like, share, and subscribe to our channel. Dr. Tom, thank you so much for your time today. And I hope to meet you in person soon. Be Kelly, well. thank you so much. Appreciate it. Take care. Mm-hmm.